Lord. How many can say amen to that by experience? Praise the Lord. God bless you. I love church on Wednesday. Thank God for the privilege to be able to come to the house of the Lord. St. John chapter 4. St. John chapter 4, verse 16. Let's enter into a new order tonight. A new dispensation of something that is going to happen here in St. John 4 to a very unlikely person. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. Now you really want to be careful around people like this that can tell you this sort of stuff. In that saidest thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Let's bow our heads together. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, thank you tonight, Father. We're so, so in love with you. We just so want to express in our feeble way of our words and the uplifting of our hands and the pulling together of our soul, our spirit, our body in every way that we know how to let you know that we love you so very, very much. You are not an idol to us. You are not some foreign God that we do not know or do not understand. But you are our Father, our Redeemer, our Lord, our King, our Lover, our Savior. You're everything to us. As we approach your word tonight, Father, we're asking that you would help us. May you open our understanding as we endeavor to look into your word. Lord, as we've been speaking now for several, several months on the church. Now, Lord, I pray tonight that you would help us as we look into a little different view of the church and the direction of what you were fixing to introduce. Help us to be enlightened further to our responsibility as your people, to also the blessings as your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated.
Let's look at verse 19 again, and then we'll read verse 20 as well. The woman says unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. I want you to notice how that she, once the Lord opens up the avenue of her life, how that she wants to get away from that open door. You notice she don't bring up that husband situation again. Now she gets real religious all of a sudden. And she wants to, you know, I I believe you're a prophet. And um, uh, our, our fathers said, and this mountain is where we're supposed to worship. And um, uh, you all say over there is where we're supposed to worship. Um, you know, it, it helps us, though, to understand that many times whenever the Spirit of God is dealing with our hearts and the hearts of others and our lives and friends, that Whenever the Spirit of God gets them all round up, as it were, and really honing in on their lives, don't give up on them just because they don't come right out and just acknowledge their problems and their issues. You know, this is actually the first, the first aspect of our Lord's missionary effort to the heathen. Now, this is the first New Testament display that we see of missionary work being given to the people outside of of the commonwealth of Israel. Now, we know, of course, that he's sent by the Father by a vision, and he must needs go through Samaria. Now, we read this, and uh, many of you no doubt know a little bit about historically the Samaritan history but we'll, we'll try to elaborate on it a little bit more to open your understanding. To them, the Samaritans were uh, hybrids. They were a people that was not even fit to be dealt with. But the Lord Jesus is not dealing with her so much as a Samaritan, but as a redeemable attribute. Amen. Now, the most of the people of that day, the religious people of that day, would have never spoken to this woman. She had five husbands. She had quite a reputation. Of course, we know she was turned out as a young girl, 17, 18 years old, on the street. Her mother didn't love her right. Her father didn't love her right. And she was thrown into this kind of a life. Very scarred woman. Amen. Amen. And this is what it had turned her out to be. But yet the Lord Jesus had vision that was beyond what the rest of the people could look at. And that was he was sent to bring light and life to one of those attributes that came out of the eternal when he ventured out as the Logos. 
Her name was actually put in the Lamb's book of life with his. So he, he wants to strike her soul and he goes through a, a, a way by being able to prick her conscience of something to make her long and thirst for something other than what she has. Now, if you'll watch this and study this verse by verse, you'll see as she gradually comes to a further understanding of who he is. So now, she's still racial. She's got a race problem herself because she thinks he does. Because now remember where, where Samaria is located. It was, this particular spot was near Shechem or Sychar. And it was at the foot of Mount Gerizim. At this mount is where Jacob had an experience with God, Abraham as well. The Samaritans taught that it was on this mountain that Abraham was to offer Isaac. It was on this mountain that they built a copy temple like that which was on Mount Zion. So they had, the Jews had a real problem with the Samaritans. Now, to go to Galilee, the most direct route from Jerusalem would be going down, and you would go down through Sychar, come down past Mount Gerizim, and then you would go down into the valley, and you'd go to the low country of Galilee. But the Jews hated the Samaritans with such a passion. They would go around, the long way around, several miles out of their way. They would go past the hill country and go way out of their way through more dangerous, rugged terrain and everything to go to the Galilee because they hated them Samaritans with a passion. Now, you and I, when we hear the parable of the Good Samaritan, we cannot appreciate it the way it's really been said. Can you imagine when Jesus talks about the priest that went by the man and, uh, you know, the good man, the Levite that went by the man and the Samaritan came by and showed this man mercy and these Jews heard the Lord Jesus seemingly embellish a Samaritan over them? You see, he knows how to humble us, whether we're Jews or Samaritans or Hapavalians or message people or black or white or red or yellow. That's right. So the Samaritans actually, their history went back to when the temple was destroyed. And it was the custom of, of the Babylonians to relocate, say, if the Babylonians would have come into Tennessee and conquered Tennessee, then they would not let all of you hillbillies remain here. What they would do is move you from here to Ohio. And then they'd move the Ohioans from there to Vermont. And then they'd move some of them Vermont Yankees down here and put them in the hills of Pigeon Forge. 
So they would allow an element of the Tennesseans to remain. And then what they did was the Jews which remained, they actually married up to the Gentiles which were moved into Jerusalem, Judea, Galilee. So that's what made the Samaritans. So they were half Jew and half Gentile. So as far as the Jews were concerned, they could trace their bloodline back to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, so on and so on and so on. So, but the Lord Jesus did not come to gather the bloodline of Abraham, but the bloodline of God. Glory! Hallelujah! Now notice this woman's identity in chapter 4 verse 20. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you say in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Now remember, Jacob's well is actually at the foot of Mount Gerizim. So she's actually standing there at Jacob's well, the well that Jacob dug and drank out of and his children drank out of. And she tells this to Jesus. And she's standing there and can point up the hill, up the mountain from where she's at. And she's pointing up to the place of where she's referencing as the place of worship. Now, our fathers, which is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and on and on and on. And she's claiming the same fathers that the Jews claimed. Oh, my. Now, by calling them fathers, she is trying to authenticate that they are the true descendants of Abraham. Isn't it amazing how many races want to claim Abraham as their father? Now, if you'll be real spiritual, you'll find the same thing in the church ages, and you'll also find the same thing in the message. So by claiming then that Abraham was there, Jacob was there, they can actually go by the Bible. You know your Bible very well. You know that there was instances that happened on this mountain and at the foot of this mountain. And it was spiritual experiences that actually happened there. But they was by descendants, they believed, of course, that they had the right place to worship. And she references this and says, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And you say, now here she's actually separating Jesus. You know, whenever Jesus made conversation with the woman, he said, how come you, a Jew, ask me, a woman of Samaria, for a drink? You Jews don't have no dealings with us Samaritans. Now, in the embodiment of the Logos, it pleased the Father God to give the human embodiment of the Logos a look that looked Jewish. You think he looked like he white folks? You think he looked like an Apache from Arizona? No. Now this woman, this is the first time that she's ever seen him, but looking at him, to her, he looked like a Jew. Now I find that just absolutely amazing that the Lord could have made him look like an African, he could have made him look like a a European, he could have made him look like a white, light-skinned Norwegian or whatever more, but he chose to take on this look and imagery of humanity. 
that he looked like a Jew. You white folks don't have no problem with that, do you? You black folks, you don't have no problem with that. The Indians shouldn't have no problem. It wouldn't have made a difference to me if God would have made him a black man. I, could, I would have no problem with a black Jesus. I would have no problem if God would have made Brother Branham a black prophet. Because I'm not a racist. God made of one blood all nations. That's right. But this woman now, she looks at him and she said, Sir, you're a Jew. Well, I, well, where would she come up with that idea that Jesus was a Jew? So it was that when God created him in the womb of Mary, and remember, he could have come out looking as any particular race that God would have chose because he received nothing from her DNA. She had no, he had no chromosomes from Mary, no DNA from Mary. There was absolutely nothing from Mary at all. So it was a creation of God and for whatever reason God chose him to bear the resemblance of the natural seed of Abraham <laughs> hallelujah 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 now whenever she looks at him then she said now this, this ain't right because most Jews won't even come through this way and yet you have asked me for a drink something about this picture ain't, ain't right now, you know, many of you may know, but whenever uh, Brother Nehemiah, whenever he was sent back to Jerusalem to start rebuilding the temple, him and, and under the administration of Ezra, uh, Nehemiah had actually took a really hard stand out of, against a lot of sin that had gone on among the Jews. We looked at it some time back. And one of the main things was that the priests, the ministers, and many of the different leaders of the Jews had actually married the daughters of Ashdod, and they'd married Babylonians, they'd married all these different religions. And the Bible said that their children could not speak Jewish, or they would either speak half Ashdod and half message, I mean half Jewish. Because these men had married these wives. Now, remember, there was a man there by the name of Sanballat. Sanballat was the governor of Syria. And he caused Nehemiah, I mean, one problem after another after another. But when Brother Nehemiah started cleaning out the house of God, and remember, he pulled some folks' hair out, and he pulled some folks' beard out. Some of you folks think I'm, I'm, I'm a hard guy. You don't know hard. All I can say is it's a good thing the name on that sign down there ain't Pastor Nehemiah. Oh, my. But whenever Nehemiah starts doing this, it causes quite a stir among the people, as you can imagine. And it just so happens that one of the high priests has married a woman who is the daughter of Sanballat. Now, Sanballat, as I said, is the governor of Syria, so he was a Hornite. And he was a Gentile. Well, whenever Nehemiah started cleaning out the house of God, he put this old boy a-going. Well, you can imagine now, he didn't like it at all. So he actually contacts his father-in-law, Sanballat, and he tells him that he is going to have to put away his daughter. Because in order to remain in the priesthood under the administration of this new pastor, he's really calling some straight shots. 
So, you know, he said, well, this is the only thing that I can do. Now, I'm quoting to you tonight history now. That the only thing I can do is actually put away your daughter because he will not allow me to remain in the office of priest. So, Sanballat actually communicates back with him and tells him, no, no, don't do it, don't do it. Now, during this time frame, the administration of the world power has also changed. So, it's under this transition where it's going over to Alexander. Alexander the Great. Now, now, let me share this with you. Sambalat, by the permission of Alexander the Great, had built a temple upon Mount Gerizim for Manasseh, his son-in-law, who for marrying Sambalat's daughter was expelled from the priesthood and from Jerusalem. So now Manasseh is going to be thrown out. So Sanballat actually in this transition, he maintains his governorship of Syria and he actually contacts Alexander the Great. And he goes and has a court appearance with Alexander the Great. And he tells him, we would like to have a temple built there. There's a bunch of Jews there. Uh, Alexander, of course, knows the Jewish religion, the Jewish people. And he says, fine. He presents it to him as if though it is a an authenticated original religion based on the apostolic fathers. I mean, based upon the fathers. And Alexander gives him permission. Now, notice the time frame of this. Actually, this temple was built about 40 years after the second temple at Jerusalem. So now the second temple, they went through all this labor, all this hardship, all this difficulty to build it. And remember Sanballat and then said, oh, let us help you build it and let us do this and let us do that. They said, no, we don't need your help. Keep your hands out of this. This is God's work and we're going to do it because he wants us to do it. So then Sanballat uses his political position in order to make another temple that looks almost identical to the one in Mount Zion built upon supposedly the same father, Abraham. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, so on and so on and so on. So here is one on Mount Gerizim and then here is one on Mount Zion. Not that many miles apart, but there's several differences, of course, in between them. And here this temple actually stood 200 years and then was destroyed by Jochahin, which was the son of Simeon, so says Josephus. However, this did not put a stop to worship in this place, about which were great contentions between the Jews and the Samaritans. So now for all of these years, then the Samaritans, now remember the Samaritans only took the first five books of Moses. Amen. So they only took Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So they did not take Joshua, Judges. They did not take Chronicles, Samuel, Nahum, Nehemiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Habakkuk. So they were very ignorant prophetically concerning a lot of things about the economy of God. Amen. Amen. 
I know we're laying a big foundation, which you know what that means. We're fixing to build a big house. So whenever now the Lord Jesus addresses this woman and then she comes back and gets real religious with him and she said, well, our fathers say here's where we're supposed to worship and you all say, separating them from the fathers, you all say that you're, you're the right ones and you're so, you say we're supposed to worship over there. But now notice how Jesus directs her back in verse 21. Jesus says unto her, woman, Believe me. Now, let me draw your attention to what is fixing to be said. The biggest transition since the giving of the law, the greatest change that has been known to man as far as salvation since the fall in the Garden of Eden is fixing to be introduced It's not introduced to the disciples. It's not told to the Sanhedrin. It's told to a woman who's had five husbands and living with another man. We might ought to be careful who we try to put in and put out, shouldn't we? Now, would this been the type of woman that, or individual that you would think God would reveal such things to? We are fixing to go into a dispensational change which the prophets had prophesied about for 4,000 years. All the types, all the shadows, all the colors of redemption in the rainbow The colors of the tabernacle, the sacrifices, all of this is heading up and what God is fixing to do. And as far as the Bible writing it down, the first person to hear about it is an adulterous prostitute. Well, where's Peter the preacher? Where's John the revelator? Where's all the rest of these great men? Look, friend, God reveals what he wants to whom he wants. He does not need our permission. He does not need us to even say, man, Lord, go ahead. He does what he wants to do. Well, if God wants to do that to her, who knows? He might want to reveal something to us here tonight. I believe if we can come with the right attitude, there is no telling what our Father will do for us when we gather together. Now notice the way Jesus addresses her. Jesus saith unto her, woman, believe me. Now he he does this in order to emphasize the startling remark of what he's fixing to make known to her because she is still under the concept, and you can't blame her because it's the dispensation they were in. She's under the concept that God must be worshipped in one central location. But Jesus is fixing to introduce a dispensation by which the order will be that the one being worshipped will take precedent over the place he's worshipped in. Oh, praise be to God. So the place he is worshipped in will become subjugated to him who is actually worshipped. 
Praise be to God. Oh, I wish somebody would grab that tonight. It would change the way you worship God. You know why some of you don't worship God at home? You know why you don't worship Him going down the road in your car? Because you don't think your car is as holy as this building right here. You don't think your kitchen or your living room or your bedroom or whatever more. Amen. It's not your bedroom that's holy. It's not your living room that's holy. It's the Holy Ghost that lives inside of you. If you ever learn that, brother, sister, it will transform the way and how and where and how often and how sincere you worship God. Oh, my. Now, watch this. This, this, holds, this holds the canon of the mystery of the prophetic ages, of the redeemership of the Logos, of what, help me God, of what God is fixing to do. And the most unlikely candidate of Jerusalem the most unlikely candidate of Sychar or Shechem or Judah or Galilee is hearing it. The first human being to hear of what God is fixing to do is a woman that's so messed up in her life. I don't mind telling you, she is one of my favorite all-time characters of the New Testament. I have no idea what her name is. I have no idea what color her hair was, what color her eyes was. But she is one of the people that I want to meet when I get there. The prophet of God used her over and over again. She is a perfect type of you and I. Not a Jew. Not a person that had royal blood, a person that had all kinds of shame in their past, and whenever her past was brought up, she turned real religious all of a sudden, but the Lord Jesus did not let that religiosity stop him from giving birth and going after that seed right inside that woman. Jesus saith unto her, woman, Believe me. Now look at the setting. He's at Jacob's well. He's not in the temple. He's not in the temple. He's not in the outer court. He's not in the holiest of holies. He's not even in Jerusalem. He's not in Bethpage. He's not in many of the holy sacred sites. He's in Samaria. In Samaria and breaking forth the seal, if you can understand it, the seal of the mystery of redemption. It's breaking, and it's breaking outside the walls of Jerusalem. It's breaking outside the social circle and the religious circles, but it's being brought to home. It's being brought before a predestinated seed. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh. Now it's not yet fully arrived, but it's on its way. The hour cometh. 
When ye shall neither in this mountain, and Jesus could have stood right there at the bottom of it and pointed right up just like she did. That will ye will neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. There is coming a time and which will be inaugurated a new phase of worship. And it will not be in Mount Gerizim. It will not be in Jerusalem. It will be in spirit and in truth. Praise God. Hallelujah. So it's not in Johnson City. It's not in Minden, Louisiana. It's not in Chicago, Illinois. It's in spirit and in truth. These are the hallowed sanctuary that Jehovah receives worship in this new order. Because in this coming church age, woman, because of the giving of the Spirit, the Father can receive worship from a farm boy plowing a field. He can receive worship from a a kitchen maid washing dishes and making bread for supper. no longer be limited to this mountain or Mount Zion. In this new order of worship, the place in which Father is worshipped will be subjugated to Father himself. Now, do we honor this as a church? Yes. But my prayers are not restricted to being heard in this building. I've seen God do miracles in the hospital room. As a matter of fact, I prayed for Brother Eugene a while ago, called outside my office. Presence of God come down in the car where he was. You know why? Fulfillment of scripture. So it does not have to be in this building. Come on, saints. Don't you understand that when we catch a real revelation of worship and what it's all about, it will totally transform your life. Many of us are still traditionalized by believing that God hear our prayers more so toward the church. We are not church building worshipers. We are almighty God worshipers. That's right. The important thing is that men will worship the Father in this new order under spirit and truth. Notice now as he goes on, now he's going to expose the error of her doctrine as well. And St. John 4.22, ye worship, ye know not what. 
Now remember, they only received the first five books of Moses. So can you imagine? This is the only Old Testament you would have. You'd leave out Isaiah 7, 14, Isaiah 9, 6, Isaiah 35, 3, Zechariah 12, 6. You'd leave out Malachi 3, sending the messenger before his faith. You'd leave out so much truth of the coming of the Messiah, yet she believed in a Messiah. Well, I'm going to say something. So it proves to me that it's not just how many of the prophets' books you have, it's whether you have a seed of representation in there. You can have every book he ever preached, every tape he ever preached, and go straight to hell. But if you've got representation, you may not have but five of them, but God has revealed to you what's in those five. You're a part of it, brother. Praise God. Well, let's just fast forward a little bit now to 2019, almost 2020. You know, it's a sad thing, but to realize in verse 22, Jesus could say the same thing today to the majority of Christendom. You worship, you know not what. So they're not sure if there's one God, two gods, two and a half, three, three and a half, or four. They don't know if God's a Baptist or a Methodist or a Church of Christ or an Antichrist. Or they're not even sure. Well, I can tell you, he ain't neither one of them. He ain't none of that sort of thing. God is spirit. You understand the majority of the Christian world are so spiritually ignorant of the Bible, they don't know what they worship. Now, you know, a lot of folks, if Jesus would have said this to them, boy, they'd have gotten mad as a hornet and got up and walked out and took their water bucket and just drowned him with water and walked off, you smart aleck, you. You worship, you know not what? We know what we worship. Can you imagine calling somebody a dummy to their face? I can imagine that. <laughs> my, my. Well, that's what we are a lot of times. Let's just be honest. We're dumb. He said, woman, you don't know what you worship, but we know what we worship. And you're flat wrong. What are you, a puff hatter? That's what's the matter with a lot of us. We get so mad. God has to make you mad sometimes to get you right down there where you get serious. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. Boy, if that was said today, they'd brand Jesus a racist. My goodness, what they'd call him and what they'd do, but they'll go to hell. But every predestinated seed, if we'd move this up in our day and Jesus said it to Dow, Lauren Dove Dow to the humble Dow and said, that's right, Lord, I'm a dummy. I'm a dummy. I don't know how to worship you. If you're ordained, you'll do the same thing. Why? We submit to the word. Let the word humiliate us if that's what it takes. Oh, my. Ye worship, you know not what? You have no authority to build that temple there. Abraham never worshiped there. Isaac never worshiped there. You have no authority. Oh, she's standing there. 
how much longer am I going to take this? He didn't know I had five husbands. Now watch her. You see, the silence of the scripture speaks volumes. She doesn't get mad. You can tell the little woman's a fiery little thing by coming back to Jesus the way she did. But he's gradually moving, moving, and the daylight is coming around that little portion of the word. She was born, she was born lost. By that I mean her soul was in sin. But her soul was not sin. Amen. But she was born in sin. And yet the prophet said, why was it that whenever Jesus spoke, that it helped her because he said, it come to redeem her. But what light the scribes had and the Pharisees, it put it out. We know, we're confident, salvation is of the Jews. All right, now here you're smart at it, can't you? Gonna give me water. You ain't got a bucket to draw with. You're a Jew. You're... Well, something down inside her said, Man, I never heard nobody say like that. Amen. That thing had been laying there. We don't know exactly how she was, but now, but she started this kind of life when she was very, very young. So no doubt it was so lifeless. It had been laying there complacent. I find it so amazing. That she receives light. I was talking about worship. I wonder if worship has more of an important value and meaning than what we give it sometimes. Now, with worship, I ain't talking just about screaming and hollering and shouting. And that. that's, that's, that's all joy and part of it. But worship is even more than that. Now he could have went into the creation of the light. He could have went into the creation of the spinning of the earth and the, the topography of the earth and explaining all kinds of things like that. But actually he's rolling back the mist and the darkness around this predestinated seed by talking about worship. I'm convinced some of you all could worship your problems away. If you'd hang around a little longer after the words been preached. this the hour cometh and now he is when the true worshipers oh God I want to be that when the true worshipers shall worship the father in spirit and in truth. For the Father, listen at this mystery, friends. Listen at the very heart of God. Listen at this which has been kept secret since the foundation of the world. And a prostitute is getting the privilege to hear it.
The true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh. Seeketh. Do you mean God seeks? God seeks. God wants. God longs. God hungers. The Father seeketh such to worship Him. How could Jesus say that? He was the Father's vessel to seek such. Praise God. He ought to know. He was the epitome of the Father's search. He was the Father's search engine. He'd come to the earth. He was the Father's search. He was the divine mechanism of the Almighty God. The image or the facsimile of the invisible God to search out those kind of people. So here is Melchizedek. Here is the high priest of the new order. The sacrifice, the lamb, the whole volume of the book. Telling this unlikely individual these great things. Now let's say about right in here, close. He had sent the disciples off for vittles. It's lunchtime. So she couldn't come in the morning, of course. The women, the rest of the women wouldn't have anything to do with her. So she came looking for water. And she found two wells. Jacob's well and God's well. and put it on the side and let down the window and heard a voice say, woman, give me a drink. And you know the story. So she had the capacity and the ability and the know-how to draw water from Jacob's well. She didn't have the know-how. She didn't have the understanding. But she had the representation. To help her once she got her representation lined up with the proper approach and the proper understanding, then she had the ability to drop down the spiritual window in God's will. Hallelujah. Not just Jacob's will, sir. Give me this water that I won't come here to draw again. The old dispensation has come to its time. Well, it's fixing to wind down. And the new one is fixing to begin. Now, they will not just stop offering lambs and all of that all of a sudden. Even the disciples would go back for years to the temple to pray. And it took a gradual revealing for them to see that the time which had come upon them was the end, the terminating point of centralized worship. This is why we don't believe in no earthly headquarters. 
Oh my. You see, the worshiper in the Old Testament maybe initially started out with all sincerity and truth because God would give him a way by which his sins could be expiated. And he would lay his hands on the lamb and as he did, the priest would come and take a knife and slit the lamb's throat and the hot blood would gush out all over him. You imagine that blood and it didn't make you sick just smelling it. And the blood would be all over your hands and your garments and your arms and there you would stand and you'd think, oh God, oh God, thank you for your mercy that should be me but you accepted that lamb but it got to where it was ritual it was routine and there was no feeling there was no emotion now all this go to church and let's offer a lamb and let's go back out and make money and do this and that and oh God help us that we do not get to such a place that church becomes a ritual that church becomes a routine but that we can come with thanksgiving in our hearts and gratitude and praise and worship and truth and sincerity. So the Father is now embodied in the Son on his first missionary journey to the Gentiles. Praise God. <laughs> By the gift through the administration of the Son, the body, the Father through the impartation of the Holy Ghost will now become the deposit where future believers can worship him in a jail cell. They could find themselves in the Colosseum at Rome. They could find themselves, Brother Gene, as we stood there years and years ago on our trip to, to Israel and Egypt and Rome. And as we stood there in those catacombs and to think that many of the saints of God stood there and worshiped God. Why? Because the order of worship had come to a change. Remember, it was about 300 years before the church actually started having buildings. They met in public places. They met in homes. Boy, for some of you, we still have to have a centralized place. You'd have had a tough time in the first century. You know what? Wherever they met, they would just say, God, sanctify this old catacomb. God, sanctify. What if it comes to a place that the government winds up taking our churches at the end time? I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll go back to worshiping in houses and basements and wherever more. They will not stop us from worshiping our God because we are worshipers. Seeketh such hallelujah. Well, if the Father seeks it, I'm gonna give it to him. Remember a few days ago when I was so sick. Your reward for me being dog sick. Thank you. 
Hallelujah. I couldn't shout because I wasn't able. I couldn't rejoice because I didn't feel like it. But I thought I can't wait to get better. I can't wait to bring this. I've been wanting to bring this so bad. I've been about to explode. Well, I say we do it tonight. I say we just go ahead and have a time in the presence of God. You know, when you text me the other day, Harry, dumb devil, this is what I study in, dumb devil. <laughs> but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father. Notice his language. The word Father. True worshipers. New dispensation. Saying new things. Amen. True worshipers will worship him in spirit. And in truth, in opposition to carnal conceptions of repeating the same things yearly and, you know, annually and bimonthly. And, you know, we just go through the same routine over and over and, and over again. Oh, my. Not only will they worship him in spirit, but they will worship him in truth. In opposition to hypocrisy. With true hearts. Notice Matthew 15, 8. This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. So the truth is so relevant whether or not God receives our worship. So you can imagine every Trinitarian that worships God around the world. They're not worshiping in truth. Everyone who worships under the auspices of Mary, the Queen of Heaven, the worship is not even received. Well, praise the Lord. Come on now, saints, don't get quiet on me. Oh my, the Father seeketh us. This should set our hearts on fire. That the Father God seeks people that will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Not in Jeffersonville and in Johnson City or in Karlsruhe, Germany or in... No, it is not in a city. It is not in a certain country. It's in spirit and in truth. The new location of divine worship. Jesus said it's not in Jerusalem. It is not in Solomon's temple or Herod's temple. It is in spirit and in truth. It is in Father and in Son. It is in spirit and in Logos. Oh, hallelujah. Notice the song of Solomon. Chapter 2, verse 14, oh my dove. Thou art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs. Let me see thy countenance. Let me hear thy voice. For sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely. 
What is it? It's the Father seeking such. He's seeking suitors. Remember when you and Jesus first started out and y'all was boyfriend and girlfriend? Remember whenever he first started moving on your heart and he kissed you with his mercy and love. He slid that engagement brand on you. He said, will you be my wife? And he said, well, me, I, 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 I'm nobody. I, I can't be. He said, but, but I want you to be. Amen. But, but what, what can I give you? I, I don't have anything to give you. He said, but I chose you. I want you to be because I love you. I love you and I loved you before the foundation of the world. But I've done so many things. Really, have you? I don't remember one of them. But my old life, old life, you mean you had an old life. It's all in the past. You have no past. Hallelujah. But you have a glorious future. Oh, just, 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 let, just accept my forgiveness. Come into my arms and let me love you. Let me whisper my love secrets to you. Let me whisper that which only my bride can hear. Will you come? Will you be born? Yes, I will, Lord, I will. Let them laugh. Let them make fun. I don't care what they do. Let them do what they want. I want to be under the secret places of the stairs. I want to let him see my countenance. I want to hear his voice and let him hear mine. I believe with all of my heart, Brother Branham, caught the epitome of this. St. John 4.24, St. John 3.16, 1 John 3.16, and many of these, these scriptures that unveil the very heart of God. And when he says this, and God making his promise in Brooklyn, 1956, God is a lover. God is a lover. Now, not just God is love, but God is a lover. God is love, and God so loved the world that when they were unlovable, He gave His Son to make them lovable. Let's be honest, we were not lovable people. A lot of us wasn't even likable. Come on. Bob and we belong to the devil. I mean, we was a sorry bunch of outfits, but the Lord Jesus made us lovable. Well, if part of his purpose was to make us lovable, then apparently somebody is wanting to love us. Why would we deprive him if part of his mission to the earth is to make us lovable, to answer to the hard cry of the Almighty that he would seek such to worship him. He gave his son to make them lovable. Here it is, God. Lord, please, Jesus, help us to see it. God wants to come down and make love to you. He's seeking, thirsting, hungering God. Trying to get some of your starchy hearts 
to make love to you as a love affair. Not in adultery, but in marriage. Say, sir, your boy is a perfect child. How obedient your children are. Now look at part of their obedience. How they love. You mean this is part of the report back to the presence of God. How we worship. Or if we do, or, or if we don't, or if we cause that to be primed and pumped, and then when the preacher quits priming, we quit worshiping. Sir, your boy is a perfect child. How obedient your children are. How they love to worship you. They gather together, and they raise their hands. And the tears run down their cheeks. So we're not just talking about now. Just jumping and shouting. And going around and around the building. Yes, if that's the way God blesses you. Praise God. Go for it. But people that can raise their hands and cry. Are worshiping just like those that knock the lights out. And it don't mean God wants everybody to knock the lights out. I'm glad everybody don't swing from the chandeliers. We ain't got enough money to replace them all every service. The key is giving yourself to God and say, God, here I am. Lord, here's my feet. If you want to dance them, they are yours. Lord, here's my legs. If you want me to run around the building, I'll do it, God. But I'm not going to do it just to be like so-and-so. That's why Paul tells us in the New Testament, quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesying. So, offer God your feet. Well, if God don't dance you, don't worry about it. Well, I'm not as spiritual as so-and-so is because I don't dance. All you can do is offer God. God, my card's empty if you want to dance with me tonight. Well, if God said, no, I don't think I will, you go ahead and just stand there and cry. So you just bawl like a baby, and they ain't crocodile tears. I mean, they're real genuine. It's just tied straight to your heart. And when the Lord goes to squeeze them, them tears just ooze out down them tear ducts. Now to the person standing on the other island, they are wore slap out. Their clothes is ringing wet with sweat. Boy, they've jumped and shouted and hollered. You walk out cool, calm, and collected. They look at you and think, boy, you didn't worship. You did too if you worshiped with all of your heart. You didn't keep your feet back from God. You didn't keep your voice back from God. Well, come on now, saints. Oh, my they gather together, they raise their hands and the tears run down their cheeks 
They're just so full of joy. How the Holy Spirit must love to do that. For God is an object of worship. And God wants to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Jesus said so. But we get so starchy. We just can't, oh my, make a grunt. We couldn't say, man, we just. Now, for those of you who do that, he's not complimenting you at all. How the Holy Spirit must dread to say that to the Father. How'd they do tonight? Some of them grunted. Some of them didn't even grunt. Some of them didn't say nothing. They didn't raise their hands. They never shouted, nor shed no tears. They was as cold as an old tater. Well, hallelujah. Now watch the logos. Now we're not talking about a theologian that's going to give us his explanation of what he thinks God is. We're talking about the only one who really knows. St. John 4, 24. God is a old man. God is a body. God is a spirit. Now in the Greek it actually says it this way. Numa hosios. Numa, you can sit there. Numa hosios. Now the word numa is the word that is used for spirit. For those of you brothers that works in mechanics, it's the root word by which we get pneumatic, which is like a pneumatic air gun or a pneumatic tool. So it is a power that takes a regular nail and poof. So this is God that takes a regular man and makes a thumper out of him. Numo, that's spirit. This is part of the word of Holy Spirit as well. So it's Numa ho theos. Now theos, of course, is God. Remember, this is the root word that your body comes from. Theophany. (laughs) Numa ho theos. More precisely, it is God is spirit. As 1 John 1, 5, God is light. As 1 John 4, 8, God is love. So God is not a love. God is not a light. God is not a spirit. God is spirit. Now by this year we have the very effigy the very facsimile, the very image 
of God telling us what God is. Are we going to believe what he said or what theologians say? Answer me. You're going to believe what your mama said? You're going to believe what your daddy said? If it's contrary to this, I'm taking what Jesus said. Jesus is conveying to us the order of the worship. What difference does it make? Oh, it don't matter what you believe about the Godhead. Apparently it does. We're still talking about worship. Now, Jesus said the Father seeketh us to worship him. And the true worshipers of God will worship him in spirit and in. All right. So if we're going to know how to worship him, we've got to know what we're worshiping. So this that comes among us and renews our hearts. This that comes among us and discerns our very hearts and our very thoughts. Come on, children, don't sit there and look at me. You know there ain't a preacher in this building, there ain't a preacher around the message that can stand up and be able to preach things you and your wife have talked about, to be able to preach things that you've discussed coming to the house of God. You know there ain't no preacher alive that can do that. There's only one. Numa Hosios. Numa Hosios. He, what does he do? He just takes a regular old man and he shoots air to him, Holy Ghost breath, and that man goes to spitting out nails and bullets, and talks, oh hallelujah, and talks about the very thing you talked about coming to the house of God. What is it? It is the display of Nebuchadnezzar's God using humanity to redeem humanity. So God is not material. God is not a body. God is not atoms or molecules. God is, according to Jesus, God is spirit. Believe this or not, this is one of the most sublime truths ever presented to man. This is why Satan hates it. Brother Bram said, he told you there was three gods to make a heathen out of you. Oh, but I believe in three and I'm sincere. You're a sincere heathen, but you're still a heathen. God is not a corporal being. Made of blood and bones and cells and tissue. God is spirit. If God lived in one house, he could not be omnipotent, omnipresent. Neither could he have ever divided himself on the day of Pentecost. But God is spirit. Numa Hosios. I'm going to take a little bit of your standing outside talking time tonight. Go with me on a journey. (laughs) 
If God created man in his own image and in his own likeness, what kind of a man did he create? A spirit man. But in his making up there, he made man in his own image to lead the cattle, lead the beasts of the field, just like the Holy Spirit leads the believer today. See, he was, in other words, Adam, the first man, was in the lower creations of God. The first creation was God himself. Mm. Then out of God came the Logos, which was the Son of God. Then out of the Logos, which was the Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Out of the Logos came forth the man. Let's go back a hundred million years before there was ever a star, moon, or anything in the world. Now there was a time when there wasn't nothing here. It was just all forever and eternity. All of ever and eternity was God. He was there in the beginning. Now let's go out on the edge of this banister. Shall we? Want to go with me? Let's go out on the edge of this banister. I'm scared of these kind of heights, aren't you? They're scary. Wow. Every direction, as far as I can see, is nothing. I'm moving back a little bit. But God says, No, Donnie, come on up to the banister. The closer you are to the edge, the more you'll break through into where I am. And if you can see me for who I am, It'll help you see who you are. Let's go out on the edge of this banister and look over and see these things happen. Now, no man has seen the Father at any time. No man can see God in the bodily form because God is not in bodily form. First, don't you understand? When people think of Father God, they think of an old man in heaven and the son a younger man don't you see why Satan has done that they worship they know not what God is a spirit see alright no man has seen the father but the only begotten of the father hath declared him first John see but notice now there's nothing it's just, just space there's no light, there's no dark, there's no nothing. It just seems nothing. But in there is a great supernatural being, Jehovah God, who covered all space of all places at all times. He was from everlasting to everlasting. He's from the beginning of the creation. That's God. Can't see nothing, can't hear nothing. Not a move of an atom in the air, not nothing. Not, no, no air, no nothing. Yet God was there. That was God. Now let's watch for a few minutes. No man's seen that. Now that's the Father. That's God the Father. Now notice that after a while, I begin to see a little sacred light to form like a little halo. Wow. So if the halo come back to the earth in our day 
there must be some children that are able to come to the edge of the banister and see the halo again. <laughs> Glory to God. Glory to God. Like a little halo or something. You can only sit by supernatural eyes to look now. While we're looking, the whole church now, we're standing on a great big banister watching what God's doing. And we'll get right down to this question here. And you'll see how he brings it in now. No one has seen God. And now the next thing we begin to see by eyes of supernatural looking, we see a, a little white light forming. I said, what is it? That was by the Bible called readers Logos. Or the anointing, or the anointing, as I was going to say. That part of God that began to develop. It was that part of God that began to develop into something so human beings could have some type of an idea of what it was. A little light moving. That was the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. God gave himself birth to this son, which was before there was even an Adam or heir to make an Adam. See, Jesus said, glorify me, Father, with the glory that we had before the foundation of the world. See, we're back in yonder. Now, when St. John 1, he said, in the beginning was the Word. Then when the first, the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. God unfolded himself down to a human being. God unfolded himself down to a human being. Watch how he did it. Now, back there, when this little halo comes, now we ain't seeing nothing yet. We're seeing a halo, but we ain't seeing nothing yet. This is our problem, friends. We're trying to see it by this. This is where you keep trying to find yourself. You're trying to find yourself with these eyes. They'll never show you who you are. They'll show you your weaknesses, your failures, your mistakes, your past. We need the eyes of the supernatural. Oh, that's the Son of God. The Logos. Now I can see him playing around like a little child before the Father's door with all eternity. Now then, in his imaginary makeup, he began to think of what things would be. And I can hear him say, let there be light. And when he did, an Adam burst it and the sun came into it. He said, And she whirled for hundreds of millions of years, forming clinkers and burning and forming like it is today. Still burning, still breaking atoms. Let's stand. Let's stand.
John 1.18, Jesus said, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. I love this, Brother Terry. I don't know if you ever read this or not. But in the Jerusalem Targum, which is one of the old ancient writings, on the scripture of Genesis 3.22, it has this same concept of what Jesus says here in John 1. When it introduces the word and said, the word of the Lord God said. Now this is after man has fell. And in the King James it says, the man has become as one of us. But in the Jerusalem Targum, which is one of the original translations of the Hebrew, it says it this way. The word of the Lord God said, Lo, the man whom I created, the only one in my world, even as I am. The word of the Lord God said, the man whom I created, the only one in my world. When Moses heard his voice, it was the only begotten declaring the Father's personage. When Abraham fed him a sandwich and milk that day from the cow, it was the only begotten. It was the Father declaring the Son. You see, many of these episodes in the Old Testament, which has been said, and men saw God and men talked with God. The one who was acting out that effigy of God said, none of you have ever seen him. You thought that was him. But really, it was me. Christ was and is God's image so perfectly. He is the image of the invisible God. He does not need to remake. He does not need to make another. It was the perfect image of the invisible. If the invisible could ever have a tangible form, it was Jesus. First Timothy 1.17, now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God.
be honor and glory forever and forever. First John 4, 12, no man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected. God is spirit. And those in Happy Valley that truly worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. These are the sanctuaries by which we meet the Almighty. Spirit and in truth. Friends, if you ever catch this, as I said, on your job, you'll be able to worship Him. Sisters, you feel His presence come down when you're making an apple pie. You'll lay the knife down, the apples down, the sugar and the cinnamon, and you'll shout or you'll cry or whatever you are, a cry or a shout or whatever, and you will worship Him. You're going down the road, you'll worship Him. And you will worship Him when you come to church. Why? Because God loves to be worshipped. Well, if He loves to be worshipped, and I am a reflected, projected attribute from His being, that means there will be a deposit in me to meet that in Him. Because I'm His wife. Right? If you're truly joined together, your husband, your husband with you, your husband's got a need, your wife's got a need, you men should make it your desire of your walk as a son of God to be able to meet that need in your wife and vice versa, you wives to your husbands. Now bring it spiritually. If Almighty God loves to be worshipped and craves and hungers and wants to be worshipped, we should never let him leave this building still hungering, still thirsting. And said, I wish somebody would have given me five more minutes. I wish somebody would have cried a few more tears and clapped their hands a few more times and raised their hands once more. Praise God. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus. What have you spoke to us this night, Father? Oh, my God, I pray. May this rhema word bring transforming power. Not just when we're in church, but Lord, may it change our lives forever. Lord, if these people have thought in their minds, I know some of them haven't, but apparently some have. There's a need for this to be spoken. You would have not given it to me. If some of them feel like praise and adoration and religious stuff belongs only in church, I trust this has opened their eyes tonight. I agree it belongs in the church, but if they're in the church, then wherever they are, they can worship Him. They can go down through Lowe's picking out two befores to build a dog house or a shed or whatever more. And all of a sudden something strikes so hard and they just bow their head and say, thank God for Jesus, as Brother Homer says. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God it's Wednesday. We get to go to church. Praise God. And they realize that pulsation that come from Numa, Numa, Hoseos, that was received right up into the heavenlies 
It was just as sincere, just as honest, received into the presence of God, just as Solomon's prayer in the book of Kings was offered thousands of years ago. And it come from Lowe's lumber supply, from the two-before section, or the sister standing in Walmart and the bacon goods, and all of a sudden she just reminisces of how lost she was. And tears go to trickling out her eyes and she just raises her hand. She's not there to show a scene now and draw attention to her. But the Spirit strikes her heart. And she just bows her head and says, Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me, Lord. Thank you for our church. Thank you for sending us a prophet with a message. Thank you, Lord. I love you, Jesus. And all of a sudden she says it and she just goes on picking out the rest of her grocery list. You just wanted a little bit of loving from somebody and you just happen to fall on that daughter's heart right there in the middle of the aisle in Walmart. I think sometimes you do it just to see if we're ashamed of you. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Praise God. Oh, Jesus. We worship you tonight, Father. Truly, Lord, we want to worship you. We want to worship you. Not just three times a week when we're in church. I am a worshiper. I worship you every day of my life. I worship you all through the day. In the morning, if I wake up at 2 in the morning, 2.33, whatever more. Hallelujah. I want to praise on my lips. Lord Jesus, I am called to worship you. Praise be to God. And I'm so glad I'm in the sanctuary of spirit, joined to the sanctuary of truth by which I can truly worship. So I don't have to wait to pull into the parking lot at Happy Valley and come in and kneel down here at the altar, wherever I'm at. I can worship. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise be to God. Oh, don't you love him tonight, saints? Don't you want to be a true worshiper? Not just a true jumper now and a true shout. Oh, God bless you with that. Do it with all your heart. But just, just if, you, if you jump high, live high. If you jump a lot, live high a lot. That, that, that's, all, that's all we're asking for. But the thing of it is, if you've got victory in your heart, you can worship God and you don't feel like jumping. There's times when you just don't feel like jumping and dancing and shouting. But if you ever break into the understanding of where we are, you can worship God when you're up. You can worship Him when you're down. You can worship Him when you feel the anointing. You can worship Him when you don't. Because you are a worshiper. Oh, it makes it easier when the anointing is there. But that's not who I am. I am a worshiper. Praise God. You are awesome in this place. Yes, Lord. Mighty God. Yes, Lord. You are awesome in this place. Let's just sing it now. Let's give him a few minutes now. Everybody with all your heart, lift your voice. 
Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Lord. Praise be to God. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We adore you, Lord. We bless your name. Hallelujah. You are worthy, O oh God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise be to God. Amen. I hope we never read St. John 4 ever again the same way. If we live to be 250 years old, I hope. Amen. Don't you love it when the Lord just opens it up and makes it so real to you? It's like the very first time you've ever read it. Well, in reality, it is the very first time you've ever read it with that inspiration. Praise be to God. Love you so much. God bless you, saints. Service this weekend. Let's come back expecting the Lord to move. I believe he's got more for us. Amen. Brother Donnie, don't you figure he'll ever run out? Never. If it'll take eternity, eternity him revealing himself. Friends, we, we've not even scratched the bucket yet. God bless you. We'll come again this weekend expecting the Lord to move for us. Been studying today for the weekend. I think we're going to be blessed. We might, we might get hurt a little bit here and there along the way, but we're going to be blessed. Sometimes it has to hurt you to help you, right? Amen. Glad to have Brother Darrell with us tonight. Brother Darrell, why don't you come and dismiss us, buddy? Love and appreciate Brother Darrell. Amen. God bless you, saints. I'll see you this weekend. How blessed we are. Amen. I remember years ago I was working in surgery. This man had threw a blood clot and it had killed his bowel. Over 90% of his bowel was dead. He was a Baptist preacher and he'd come in. It had been four days. His bowel had been dead. And you can imagine the smell of death that was in the room. And So the doctors were talking and they said, this is a dead man. There's no way he can live. There's just too much of his bowel that we've took out for this man to live. They was going to try to put a bag on his side. And, and I was standing there in surgery and I thought, that's true. How could this man possibly live? And all at once, the Spirit of the Lord came upon me. And a voice spoke to me and said, is there anything too hard for God? And I said, no, Lord, you're God. There is none like And right in the middle of surgery, I just began to worship the Lord. My tears in my eyes. We closed the man up. About a year later, I was going through the canteen at the VA hospital. And I saw the man sitting there. And I said, and I said, sir, you don't know me. But I was on your case. And I told him what happened that day. And right in the middle of the VA hospital, we both were sitting there praising God and worshiping the Lord. Because there is no God like our God. Hallelujah. There is no God like our God. He's wonderful for his no wonder when the angel of the Lord came to the prophet and he said he referred to me many scriptures such as Saint John 4 the woman had the no wonder that was me 
that was you. He has showed us the way to worship him. Don't you love him tonight? Praise God. Let's just bow our heads. Lord God. Truly, Lord, you're awesome in this place. Not so much, Lord, just the building of the pews and the carpet, but you're awesome in this place in the hearts of the true worshipers, Lord. For truly, God, your desire was to dwell with man. That true fellowship would be what true fellowship would be, Lord. How we thank you for that tonight, God. How we thank you, Lord, for this word that come to our hearts, Lord Jesus, to reveal to us that we can not only just see who you are, Lord, but that we can see who we are, dear God. For Lord, I never come looking for Elijah, Lord. I never come looking for this message, Lord. I didn't know anything about it. But you and your grace, you sent Elijah to find me, Lord. You sent the message to seek me out, Lord. Oh, we thank you for that tonight, Lord. And that's the testimony of everyone in this building, God, that your grace has been extended to us, Lord. That we can see the hour, Lord. We can see the time and the day and the way to worship you, dear God, in true worship through spirit, Lord, and truth. Oh, God, as we leave the building tonight, may we not leave your presence, Lord, but may we carry it with us, God. And as we lay upon our beds, God, may we... May we regurgitate as it is, Lord, these things that we've heard tonight, God. These nuggets, these golden nuggets, Lord, that's given to us from the Word. Oh, God, may we polish them up, Lord. May we take possession of these truths, dear God. For you said ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Lord, bless you people now, Lord, those that are prayed for. May they just go believing now. Everything's going to be all right. We just commit it into your hands and we just love you, Lord, that you hear the prayers of your children. Bless Brother Donnie, Lord, give him strength to his body. Thank you, Lord, for touching him and allowing him to come and stand once more before your people. Father, we ask, God, that you'd bless those here tonight, those that wanted to come and couldn't, bless them, Lord. Give us traveling grace as we make our way home. We just love you tonight, Lord. We just thank you, God. Lord, I'm not a smart man. I don't know fancy words. I... But, Lord, listen to my heart tonight. For truly, Lord, there's thanksgiving in my heart for the words that we have heard tonight. Precious, wonderful words of life, like water to a thirsty soul. How we thank you, Lord Jesus. We commit the service now and these people into your hands for your glory. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Do you love him tonight? May the Lord bless you as you go. Amen. We fall down. We lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. The greatness of your mercy and love is at the feet of Jesus. We cry, holy, 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 we 
another step like you The greatness of your mercy and love At the feet of Jesus We cry, holy, holy, holy We cry, holy, holy, holy We cry, holy, holy, holy Is the Lamb Oh yes you are Jesus. 